at UCC. God bless him on tonight. The book of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1. I will stand my watch and station myself upon the ramparts, and I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I might give, remember now, Habakkuk has been complaining. He's been bellyaching for a few days now with God. Verse 2, then the Lord said, or the Lord replied, write down the revelation, or write down the vision. Now, here's how I want you to write it down. Make it plain on the tablet so that the herald, or he who reads it, may run with it. Are you with me tonight? Okay, verse 3, for the vision, all right? The vision or the revelation is uh, 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 for an appointed time. It awaits on an appointed time. Uh, it speaks of the end and will not lie. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Now, though it tarries, all right, or though it lingers, notice what God says to Habakkuk. I want you to wait on the vision, for it shall certainly come and not delay. That's the new King James Version. Now, you're going to probably get a little repeti repetitiveness tonight, uh, but it's purpose tonight that this word get down good in your spirit, all right? It's so important tonight that you hear it and hear it and hear it again because I don't want you to be without vision. You know where we've been these past several weeks on Thursday nights. We've even peeked in on this on Sunday mornings, and I believe it's important that everyone understand the importance, all right, uh, the influence and the impact of vision. Uh, Pastor Stevens, can a man or woman have too much vision? I don't think you can have too much of vision. Uh, in fact, let me just go ahead and be very honest and very transparent tonight. I realize that even I, after teaching this series for several weeks, I'm still incomplete when it comes to vision. I'm sitting under a great teacher extraordinaire, and I, and, and I was sort of rebuked in a way because it was like, you've got a vision for your home, your family, your business, your ministry, but you don't have a vision for your staff. And I said, wow, I need a vision for my staff because most times staff are working on Sundays and they're working on Thursdays, so everybody's getting a vision but the staff. And I had to realize I need to sit down and show them here's what we look like today and what we can look like, uh, you know, six months from now and, and five years from now so the Lord delay is coming. So I don't think you can have enough vision. I really don't think you can have uh, some of you all are couples who kids have grown and you now are empty nesters. Well, what is the vision for the house now that the kids are gone? How do you avoid being living roommates? Now you're looking at each other bored to death, don't know what to do because there's no more kids to commute. <laughs> uh, no more volleyball and basketball and softball and, and this activity. Now that they in college and military, what have you. And now y'all sitting there watching the grass grow at home. So what's going to be the vision after the kids are gone? So I don't think you can have enough vision. Okay, you got a vision for a wonderful uh, storefront with, with, with two employees and you're doing about 100000 a year. Okay, but what happens after you succeed at that? You've, ach you've achieved that benchmark. How do, where do you go from there? Unless that is your end point. If that is your end point, be satisfied with that. Give God the glory and coast into the sunset. But if that, is not, if that is not all that God has shown you. So I think tonight is important that we realize that the vision is progressive. The, the vision should be progressive and ongoing to the level of your area of satisfaction. If you're satisfied with a small Bible study, Keep it at a small Bible study. If you're satisfied with a 1,500-square-foot home and a little dog in the backyard and a two-car garage, leave it there and give God the glory and go to heaven. But if you feel and sense that God is showing you more, you have no choice but to continue on the progressiveness of vision. Let me read that one more time. Oh, in fact, here's the second time, two out of three, in the New Living Translation, all right? Everybody okay tonight? Everybody in the back all right? Praise the Lord. Good. All right, I will climb up on my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post there. I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. And then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on the tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. I think that's important. Let me, let me give you some more transparency. How clear is the vision that I cast? If the man and woman who works closest to me didn't quite get the vision. I know the newest member not going to get the vision. If my wife didn't understand the vision, I know the kids ain't going to get the vision. So uh, notice it says that uh, so that a runner 
can carry the correct message to others. We'll talk about communication tonight. The vision is for a future time. Uh-oh. Somehow or another, I think we think the vision is for the now. Am I the only one getting rebuked tonight and corrected by while the word is being preached? Sometimes we think the vision is for the now. God, you showed me the vision, but he didn't say nothing about it being done in the next three or four days. For the vision is for a future time. Uh-huh. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. Now, if it seems slow in coming, God, Lord, it does have mercy. Wait patiently, for it will surely take place, and it will not be delayed. My two objectives tonight, real quick, number one is this. I want to teach you how to write an effective vision statement. Let me teach you how to write, all right? I didn't say dream. I didn't say imagine. I didn't say conjure up in your head. No, you're going to have to write this one down. It's going to have to be written down. We'll talk about that in a moment. Number two, my second objective tonight is to instruct all on not only how to write a vision statement, but how to cast visions for others to see, number two, to follow, and number three, to fulfill. Again, to see it, to follow it, and to fulfill it. The goal tonight is that people are able to see the special revelation and message God gave you, the vision, the snapshot, the picture of the future of what can be and what must be. So it's, it's not enough just to write it down, but how do I cast this vision? Someone used the analogy before. It's kind of like catching a football or catching a baseball. Uh, you're not, you don't really get, you don't really, no one pulls a book out and, and academically teaches a young boy or young girl how to catch a base of foot, football. You just have to catch it. You just have to learn how to be at the right place at the right time with the right mechanisms. And I think vision is a lot like that. We can become too analog, too, too, uh, too technical, I think, when it comes to all of the uh, uh, dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's and making sure we get all of the mechanics in place. All that, to me, doesn't mean anything if you're not positioned and prepared to understand the value of vision. Okay? And I think this is why so many churches struggle. People are going through the, 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 the run of the mill, the rigmarole. They're going through the, 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 the ordinary, the ancient, and the same old, same old. And they're in church, in, in church, out, in church, in, in church, out. And they do it for 50 years, and they still don't understand why I'm in this church. So again, remember what I said at first. Vision is progressive. So after 21 years, I'm still personally looking back at UCC's vision statement. And I loved it for the first three or four years. And it worked at, at, at 1238 uh, East 10th Street. I loved the vision at First Ward Elementary School. I loved the vision when we were coming in Old Concord Road. And even in this last seven, eight, nine years, I think the vision's been really good for this season and this location. But I'm beginning to think to myself, maybe we're still lacking. How would you know these things? Well, because the end of what I see now is not quite like the end he showed me years ago. We're getting there. We're growing. We're developing, yes. But I want to make sure that I don't take anything for granted. So there are a couple of small words, but they're powerful words, and they're game-changing words that will take our current vision, all right, to a more progressive, all right, uh, a state of action. I won't do it tonight. Maybe Sunday. Maybe Sunday, if not next Thursday night. But the current vision statement tonight, I'm no longer satisfied with. It makes me feel stale. I'm beginning to think it keeps the church held hostage and sabotaged in a current immobile state. It almost gives me the fear that we love being here comfortable amongst one another. We love God. We love one another. We go and serve the world, and that's great, but how? If you're not careful, it kind of sounds a little, you know, I'm not going to use the word cultic, but it kind of sounds like, man, it's all about us. And we have now reached our destination because we're worshiping, we're praising the Lord, we're eating good food together, we're praying and we're laying hands on. We got great small groups and, man, it's all about us. Because I think that's what the current vision statement suggests. But a couple of tweaks, a couple of prayerful considerations. I think that if, I know they say you can't take an old dog new tricks, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I believe I can teach this thing, and I believe it can be influencing. And then for the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, I won't have to worry about retooling and retraining and recasting vision. They'll get it from day one. We exist to do these things, but we are called to go and do those things. I'll keep it simple, very directional, very basic. But I think a small couple of enhancements can determine a tremendous influence 
of our church. Let me get back to this real quick. John Maxwell said this, teamwork makes the dream work. But a vision becomes a nightmare when the leader has a big dream and a bad team. Big dreams, bad teams. That might be good for a good CCMI conference uh, theme. Big dreams, but a bad team. I'm so glad I don't have a bad team. I'm so glad UCC don't have a bad team. We've got a great team. We've got a dream team. We've got a growing team. But it's a team that even the more needs vision. I've talked a lot about vision, why it's important to have it in your home, your family, your future, uh, your faith even. Um, it's so very important. Someone said it like this, vision, uh, it's not about what vision is, it's about what vision can do. It's not about what vision is, it's about what vision does. And I think we've been very, very consistent with teaching everyone tonight that a vision is a game changer for your lives. It can make a difference today, tomorrow, and forevermore. We've talked about the value, the voice, and the victory of vision. We know tonight, for those who are new tonight or perhaps those who are watching online, we've used a very simple definition borrowed from uh, Pastor Bill Hybels some 12, 13 years ago. A vision is a picture of the future of what can be and what must be. A vision is a picture, or I like to use the word snapshot. It is a snapshot of the future of what can be and what must be. We know Proverbs, just write this down, by the way, Proverbs 29, 18, very familiar verse of Scripture again. It's probably just as familiar and appropriate as Habakkuk chapter 2. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perished. Where there is no vision, the people perished. I want my kids to understand vision. I want them all to understand the value of vision. I think it's important. It's influential. It will make an impact, but they must have vision. All right? Let's keep moving on tonight. Uh, how many of you all were here a few weeks ago on a Thursday night when we talked about Habakkuk? Let me see, just see a show of hands. You remember Habakkuk? All right, how many of you were not here tonight on Thursday when we talked a little bit about Habakkuk? All right, okay, good. I, I, because you're here tonight, it, it never hurts to just kind of catch you up to speed. When you look at the entire book of Habakkuk, you know, he's not as holy as people think he is. He's not as righteous as folks think he is. I mean, Habakkuk got some issues in his life, and one of those issues right now, he about fed up with God. When you read the book of Habakkuk, particularly chapter 1, he's saying, God, your word is not quite what it used to be, and your promises ain't not quite there, and God, I'm not even sure if you really who you say you are. So you got to go back and look at Habakkuk chapter 1. We find out a couple of things. Number one, he is uncomfortable with being comfortable. He's uncomfortable with being comfortable. He's unsatisfied with the status quo. Habakkuk saying, God, listen, you, you called me to make some changes as a prophet, but I'm not sure if you got my back here. So before I go any further, I want to know, God, big man upstairs, what you going to do? Now, you and I don't talk to God like that, of course, because we got godly fear upon our lives, right? But Habakkuk, he made it kind of real clear. Uh, he has a burden. There's a burden. There's a righteous indignation because God ain't moving as fast as Habakkuk wants him to move. So he's got his arms folded. He's got his lip poked out, and he's somewhere in the corner huffing and puffing. And he says, and God says, you know what? I'm going to do something because of this complaint, because of your uncomfortability. I'm going to change your generation. Now, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you're going to go on your watchtower, and I'm going to show you a vision. And you're going to write it down, and, and, and the rest is going to be history, all right? But before chapter 2's vision comes to pass, I think we identified a few weeks ago that you got to have a burden for your community. You have to have a burden to make a difference in your generation. You're not going to successfully have a vision to make an impact until you're dissatisfied. You're just not going to wake up, eat a bowl of Cheerios, and watch ESPN and feel like you want to change the world. Nothing moves you. Now, you might watch ABC News in the morning, and that might cause you to want to go change the world when you see the crime and, the, and all of the challenges and the problems of our community. Now, that might want to give you a vision to run for a local office in the city or in your town because you're not happy with the current laws of your area, but it starts with a burden. So vision for Habakkuk started with a burden. We concluded this, a burden will always come before a vision. I'm having a hard time, Pastor, getting a vision for my home. Well, you need to get a burden for your home. I'm not quite sure, should I work retail, corporate, nonprofit, or be a stay-at-home mom? You know, if God speaks to your heart and he puts something heavy, I say it like this, there'll always be misery before this ministry. Because oftentimes inside of misery, you'll find your ministry. It's not just bad taste. It's not just uncomfortable feelings. God might be stirring something in you so you can have a burden to make the difference. So, again, vision was to change a generation. We made this real quick distinction, not only with Abraham, with uh, who was the other one, uh, Isaiah, but here with Habakkuk. Vision had nothing to do with money. 
nothing to do with, with, with prosperity, nothing to do with increase, but it all had to do with change. That's what vision should do for you and me tonight. Can we make a change in our homes? Can we make a change in our communities? Can we make a change in our generation? I gave you three things about vision a couple of weeks ago. Three things. You don't have to write these down, but just for your hearing tonight. When you get a vision from God, it's going to speak divine revelation of God's expectations. What do you mean? When God gives you a vision, when he shows you a picture of the future, it's going to be a divine revelation. I won't have time to go to Isaiah 30, but if you'll write down Isaiah 30 and 20, the Bible says that God will speak a word in your ear, giving you direction. These things came because of vision. Number two, a vision gives direct responsibilities. You're going to get direct responsibilities of God's expectation. If you think about Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says, I believe it was 6 and 8, if not, it was Isaiah, yes, Isaiah 6 and 8. The Bible says, who shall go forth? Isaiah 6 his hand and says, God, here I am, I'll go. All that came out of a vision. So not only does it give divine revelation, it gives direct responsibilities. Number three, it gives determined results. You'll get determined results. Um, I don't know anyone in the room, and I feel like I'm kind of going over here real quick. Let me just bring it down for a moment. I don't, I don't think vision comes empty-handed. Vision is not sensationalism. Okay? I want to applaud you all for your consistencies and your commitment on Thursday nights. Let me applaud you now. Okay? Because my prayer is that you see something tangible happen in your life because of this series. Not just huff and puff, not just feel good stuff. But I pray literally somewhere in your job, somewhere in your business, somewhere in your ministry. You're able to connect the dots and say, you know what? If it wasn't for that series on vision, I would have never been able to accomplish this or accomplish that. I look at the vision every day. I have it on my screensavers. I have it on my Pinterest. I have it in my home. I have it hanging in my pantry. There's not a day goes by, Elder Frank, where I don't see the vision. Because if I don't keep the vision before me, it will slowly fade into oblivion. Here's what Jack Welch said. I like this. Jack Welch, who used to be the former CEO of, uh, I think it was GE, he said this. Good business leaders create a vision. They articulate, articulate the vision. They passionately own the vision and relentlessly drives it to completion. Let me read that one more time. Good business leaders, not only do they create a vision, but they articulate the vision. They passionately own the vision, and they relentlessly drive it to completion. A vision statement is more than cracking open a Chinese cookie at the Chinese restaurant, reading a little statement and saying, that's going to be my life. That ain't vision. All right? You cannot just take a, a, a Sharpie, black, or red pen and write on the bottom of your shoe, these steps are ordered by the Lord, and that's going to be my vision statement. That ain't going to cut it. You're going to have to learn how to cast it, articulate it, and drive it. You have to own it. And I know that might seem quite militant. That might quite seem a little bit too much. But if you're willing to go where others can't go, you'll have to do what others won't do. I'm talking to a room full of visionaries tonight. I'm talking to men and women tonight who will relentlessly drive the vision and see results. Number three, vision, when vision speaks, determine results of God's expectations. Tonight, let me give you three proven principles from going from vision conception to vision's completion. Three proven principles, and I've had this for quite a while now, so I don't want to give you anything I haven't seen tried or true in my own life. I don't want to give you anything that I think works, it might work, it feels like it'll work, but let's just experiment and see. What you're hearing tonight is something that is proven, it's principle-based, it is biblically-based, tried, and true. Three proven principles from going from vision conception to vision completion, all right? I want to talk tonight about the purpose of prayer and vision. In fact, number one, the vision must be prayer conditioned, not air conditioned, but prayer conditioned, ensuring that you've heard directly from God, ensuring that you've heard directly from God. Let me say that again. The vision must be prayer conditioned. Come on, say that with me. My vision must be prayer conditioned. Come on, say that again. My vision must be prayer condition. See, it's going to ensure that it's not just a feel good. Vision has to be more than a good idea. Because you can have a good idea, but if it ain't a God idea, it ceases to be an idea. 
I'd rather have a God idea than a good idea because if it's, a God, if it's God's idea, it's going to stick and it's going to last. A good idea, he has no guarantee. There is no obligation for him to back what he said he would do. But when you get a vision from God and when it is prayer conditioned, you know you've heard directly from God. I mean, I know there are a lot of contemporary thinkers in the room and a lot of contemporary, real cool, casual, millennialist, X-generation type, you know, thinkers. But I still believe that I need to be in the presence of God when I hear from the Lord. I've heard pastors say, oh, man, I could be watching football games and I could be sitting there playing hopscotch and hear vision and get a Sunday morning message. And I'm like, you can? You know, uh, oh, yeah, doc, I could be doing X, Y, and Z and hear from the Lord. Well, and that might work for them. I'm not going to doubt God can't speak during a, a, a basketball game. But I, I, I just kind of like to be in a place where there's no distraction. Because, you know, the, the, the business and the industry that I'm in, man, it's a tight line between flesh and hearing from the flesh and hearing from the Lord. Let me say it like this. It's a very fine line from hearing from the devil and hearing from the Lord. So I can't afford to miss this one. I can't afford to be heavily opinionated with my ideas at the expense of God's word. So one more time, a vision must be prayer conditioned. In other words, it ensures that you've heard from the Lord. Again, James chapter 5. Uh, in fact, uh, you won't have to turn there either, but I do want you to find Acts real quick. While you go to Acts 10 and Acts 11, I'll give you James chapter 5. Just write down James 5, verse 13. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. All right? Uh, verse 16, I'm sorry. Uh, confess your sins or trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. One version says the heartfelt, energized prayer. Uh, I know you might have grown up in the Catholic church or you grew up in the Presbyterian church or the Lutheran church and everybody got real quiet and sung uh, Gloria Patrice and, and had rosaries and beads. But James said there's something about powerful, passionate prayer. There's something about heartfelt, effective, energized prayer. Are you with me tonight? I'm not going to be ashamed of our Pentecostal holiness, uh, a, word of, a word of life, word of faith, word of, of God background, all right? We are an energized, we are a, an emotional, we are a sensational people, and let's own up to it. I don't care who comes to church, who the visitors might be. If, you, if you're close to me after service, even some of our political guests who come to church, man, they turn red as a bee. They just don't feel the Holy Ghost. They don't know what to do. Do you think I'm going to compromise and, and, and shadow, shadow down the word of God because we got uh, other folk in the room as guests? Okay, your academic background or your uh, 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 ethnic background, the word of God is the word of God. The effectual, fervent, uh, let somebody get sick and get rushed to the hospital. You're going to want some effectual, fervent, heartfelt, energized prayer there. Pray, my God, pray. <laughs> so, 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 uh, Mark 11, 23, uh, when you pray, believe God. That, in fact, let me turn there real quick. Mark 11, uh, Mark, what did I say, 11 what, 23? All right. Uh, real quick, blah, 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 24, uh, Mark 11, 24. Therefore, I say unto you, whatever things you ask, when you pray. I'm asking God for a big vision. Why would I not pray it through? I'm asking God to speak to my heart concerning my future. Why would I not consider him in prayer? So whatever you ask when you pray, believe God, and you shall receive them, and you shall have them. All right, let's go to Acts real quick. Acts chapter 10. I'm moving kind of fast in that, all right? Acts chapter 10. Uh, look at verse. I won't have to. Oh, my gosh, my gosh. All right, tell you what, do me a favor. My pages are ripped right here at the corner. I can't even read verse uh, Thank you. Verse 1 and 2. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Acts 10, 1 and 2. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, the centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was a devout man and uh, one that feared God with all of his house. He gave alms to the people and what does your Bible say? Talk to me now. What does it say? And he what? And he what? Good. Keep reading. Look at verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly where? Let's stop right there. See, when you learn to pray and you keep prayer conditioned, it don't take God alone to speak to you in a vision. All right? Oh, Pastor, that was just the luck of the draw. Okay, if you feel that way, go to chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, all right? Uh, now, we're not talking about Cornelius anymore. Now we're talking about Peter, all right? Watch this. Huh. Look at verse 
Hmm, hmm. Verse, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just saw uh, verse one, two, blah, blah, three, okay, five. Thank you very much. Yeah, here's Peter talking. Thank you so very much. I was in the city of Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv, by the way, uh, praying, and uh, wait a minute. There it is. I almost skipped over it. Where was he? In Joppa. What was he doing? What was he doing? What's the next verse say? And then I was in a trance. I saw a vision. So now it works for Cornelius, who, by the way, was not saved. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't Jewish. He wasn't a heathen, but he was just a very smart, educated, highly ranked Italian military officer. But look what, look what was going on in his life. He loved giving to the poor. How many of y'all love giving to the poor? Hmm? Yeah, he was, he was a God-fearing man. How many people are God-fearing in the room? Uh, watch this. And he prayed, and he prayed. So come on, say, Lord, increase my prayer life. So if God could do this for a man who wasn't saved, if God could do this for a man who didn't have a walk with him, don't you think he want to do something for you? Huh? All right, let me give you another example. Look at Peter. At this point in time, Peter, you know, Peter, Peter's Peter. He ain't arrived yet. He ain't the bishop yet. All right, he's not Arch Peter yet, all right, or Pontius Peter yet, all right. Uh, he's still tripping because if you keep reading about Peter here, he's going to have some issues. In fact, he was in denial in chapter 10. He said, ain't nobody going to have my Jewish folk. And God said, I'm tired of you thinking that, so I'm going to let you have a vision and a dream. And in a vision, I'm going to show you that everybody who accepts Jesus Christ can go to heaven. So quit being prejudiced, quit being racist, and quit being a nationalist. All right? So Peter's got a whole bunch of issues going on in his life still. It ain't been but a few days he cut a man's ear off, cussed somebody out, and denied the Lord. He still going to have some contention with the pastor, Pastor Paul. Paul rebukes him, cussed him in half, said, go sit your behind down somewhere, Peter, until you learn something. So Peter's still growing. But if, God, if Peter prays, God will speak in a vision. So don't let the devil lie to you that God won't speak to you in visions and in dreams. Everybody okay so far? I need to say that because the enemy would love to condemn you. Everybody got a vision but me. It must be because of my past singing. It must be because I'm still trying to grow in this area, and I'm still trying to be to live in that area. Hogwash. God wants to show you a vision. God wants to speak to you. But you have to find yourself in prayer. All right, I got to keep moving on. I'm so sorry I took so long on that one. So the vision must be prayer condition. I got to give you this real quick. Um, oh, God, how does this time fly? Um, I had to give you this today. You have to hear this tonight. And if I fail to give you these few points, I kind of feel like I've missed my assignment tonight. One thing that prayer, being in the presence of God, governing, surrounding, ensuring that you get, get a vision from the Lord, and this is important, um, let, me, I, I, let me help you out. Here are three things that can really serve as guidelines whether this vision is from the Lord or from your flesh. Is this vision really from heaven or is it just a practical idea? Number one question, I, I, and I'm giving you my personal situation. Number one, will God get the glory out of this vision? Well, I'm not quite sure if he's going to get the glory or not. Well, it's probably not going to be a vision from the Lord. Because in everything that has breath, praise you, the Lord. Everything that we do, do it in decency and order. All that we do, our hands find to do it, do it with all our might. Everything we envision, conceive, bring to pass, should be to the glory of God. Okay? You, you buying a bar and, and, and serving liquor uh, is not going to give God the glory. It may make you some money, but it's not going to give God the glory. Okay? You opening up your home and having swimsuit parties every uh, Saturday night during the summertime for everybody to get their groove on, and, 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 and all that stuff. Well, you know, uh, uh, I was trying to use some ingenuity and what gifts I had in the house. Yeah, but if folk going to be in sin and, and, and lusting and all that stuff, God's not going to get the glory out of all of that. Okay? You may have a couple of deacons want to come by and, and, and check things out, but God's not going to get the glory out of that. Hmm? If the vision is going to keep you out of church on Sundays, I'm not quite sure God's going to get the glory out of that either. Hmm? If the vision is going to take your money from tithe and offering and put it, and you know what? I hear the Holy Ghost talking tonight. Now, I'm not a fantasy football guy, but every time I see those commercials, I keep saying to myself, how many 
tithe-paying saints in the church is compromising with fantasy football. Now, no one's called me. I've been on nobody's blogs. I've been on nobody's websites. But I keep hearing the Holy Ghost say, tell the men in the church and a couple of sisters, quit gambling your money with convenience of online betting. That's not the Lord. All right? It's not the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct your path. Honor him with your possessions, your increase, your income. God will make good for you what you're trying to get happen on TV. Tell your neighbors I told y'all to tell them that, all right? Whoever they may be. All right, I better get back on target. Number two, will it help further his kingdom? Whatever vision God shows you for your business, your ministry, your family, your future, is it going to further the kingdom of God or will it distract from the kingdom of God? Does it promote God's kingdom or does it insult God's kingdom? I'm trying to help you when it comes to writing a vision statement. Okay, I think just by sensing this room tonight, I can give you one more point. I'm going to have to close. This is going to be the heaviest point. And I need you to hear me really, really good with this one tonight, all right? I can promise you up front that about a third of you are going to struggle with this last point. You're going to struggle. I'm going to tell you up front. So when you do, you can go home and pray about it and come back and say, Pastor, I was wrong. Forgive me. Let me fall back in line. The third thing about vision in your home should be this. Will it reinforce the vision of the local house? Will your vision reinforce the vision of the man of God? Now, notice how a third of y'all didn't even say nothing. You were laughing and hollering going on three and a half, four minutes ago. You don't see the connection. I see. I know you're struggling with that tonight. I know it's going to bother you for a few moments. Uh, uh, ask your neighbor, neighbor, are you still mad about the fantasy, fantasy football stuff? Uh, yeah, just make sure they're not mad about the fantasy football. I just don't want to lose your money. And, and God getting ready to bless you, but now he can't bless you because you're in disobedience. Well, I didn't, I didn't know. Well, now you know. Now you know. The word of the Lord has spoken. Now you know. All right? But I got to go to this statement. Maybe I should sit down on this last statement. This is, the most power, this is the most important statement of the entire night. Does your vision support the local house of where you're fed? Does your vision reiterate, undergird, follow after the vision of the man of God that you've been placed under? We don't hear that teaching often. I can remember 20-something years ago, my pastor telling me there was too many visions in the house. That's the danger. Stay with me. That's the danger when we as preachers preach a lot of self Move positive, self go get it, make it happen, walk by faith, take a leap in the dark, go out and do this, go out and do that. And the people in the church say, Yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I hear you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna do it all. But sometimes doing all is at the expense of failing what you should have been doing in the house of God. There was a season in our church back in the early old Concord Road days. So we're looking 02, 03, maybe 04. At that long, maybe a one or two or three. God dealt with my heart and said, you have preached so much everyone else's vision, they've stopped doing your vision. I saw it in the lack of tithing offerings. I saw it in the lack of attendance. I saw it in the lack of energy. I was preaching and promoting so much business ownership. I can remember clearly, I preached so much, go out there and get your ministry on, go get your vision on, go get your business on, go out and do it. And everybody said, yes, charge, we're going to do it all. And they went and did it, and they left the house empty. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, all right? I want to show you something. 2 Kings chapter 5. Will God get the glory from your vision? Will it further his kingdom? Will it reinforce the vision of the local house? That is, the house of God or the vision that God's given the man of God. I don't preach a lot of self-man of God messages. I let the evangelists, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, and all others come in and do that. But this one tonight, I have to preach this because I've lived this before. I've lived this before. When my pastor would send us out, whether it was the Morningside Homes, whether it was the Claremont Courts, whether it was this outreach or, or this college campus, 
We never went in our own name. It wasn't about the Michael Anthony Stevens International Ministries. It wasn't about this ministry or that ministry. In fact, I can remember being in his office, 507 Balboa Street, after church on Thursday night. Used to be a line of people waiting to see the man of God after service. I used to be the armor bearer on the door. And I can remember having a tearful conversation because I was so into his vision, I got in arguments with colleagues on the campus about others' visions. And I never forget, I never forget one night I cried. When I say cried, I'm not talking about a tear came out of my eye. I'm talking about I boo-hooed in his office because I felt I was so violated. I felt like I was so wrong because the college campus students wanted to have this great come to Jesus meeting and, oh, we're going to have fire on the campus and we're going to preach and witness and, oh, the Lord's going to move, blah, 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 blah. And I said, hold up, y'all, we, we, we can't do all that on Thursday night. We got to be at church on Thursday night. Home first. Oh, here you go again, Minister Stephen. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, watch and see. All y'all going to get it. And sure enough, it came down to a, 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 what we call a third office meeting, all right? We were in the man of God's office because there was a little contention, a little fuss, and a little fight going back and forth. And I put my fist, I said, I'm, I'm backing the vision of God's man in the house of God. And uh, I, don't feel like, I don't feel like I was vindicated that night like I should have been. And, man, my heart was broke that night. I went home with my tail between my legs, and I just had to lick my wounds, and, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? But I learned over the years, if you do what's right, in the end, the vision will speak. And here I am 20-something years later, I'm telling you, I know I made the right decision then, and I still made that decision tonight. Home is always first. And this is what I love, and sometimes you don't understand the position I'm in as a pastor when you can have one woman getting her ministry on and doing great, and I'll endorse it. And then you see, well, how come someone else has a ministry, but it's not quite endorsed? Well, are they going the right methods? Are they being accountable? Is it submitted? Who's getting the glory out of all this? Is it going to extend the kingdom? Is it an echo of what I'm doing? Because if you're going to put time, money, and energy into your vision under my leadership, that's division. There's two visions in the house, and two visions is division. And the word division comes from the word divorce. Our divorce comes from division. There are two forces, the two visions that are tearing apart. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it comes to an head. Are you all okay tonight? Understand this. I want you to get your ministries on. In fact, I said it Sunday. It is a joy to see so many of you all going forth in many areas of business and ministry, outreach, revivals. I mean, but you got to do it the right way. The enemy will speak to you as, as, as Lucifer spoke to himself. you just as anointed as God. You're just as gifted as he is. You're just as smart as she is. Why don't you rise up and do your own thing? And if you read Isaiah chapter 14, that was the demise of Lucifer, the third archangel in heaven. Everybody okay? 2 Kings chapter 5. I'll give you this scripture, then we'll close. All right, I have to pick it up next Thursday night. Let me give you this tonight. Uh, let's start at verse 20. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 20. Real quick. But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he had brought. But as the Lord lives, Gehazi says, I will run after him and take something from him. I think you all know this story already. And so Gehazi pursued Naaman. Now, real quick, real quick, y'all, real quick. Y'all remember Sunday I talked about Naaman dipping into Jordan seven times. Naaman was a very powerful Syrian leader, but he didn't know the Lord. So he goes to the man of God. The man of God says, go to the Jordan River, dip seven times. Not one, not two, not three, but seven times. Naaman said, are you kidding me? Don't you know how important, how powerful I am? Uh, and the man of God said, yeah, but you know, if you don't do what I say, you're going to die with that leprosy, okay? So Naaman with his big, high, mighty self goes and does what the man of God says. He gets healed. Y'all know that story, right? Well, right now he's on cloud nine. He's feeling real good about himself. My God, I want to send the man of God some money. I want to help the church out. Da, 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 da. So, so the armor bearer, Gehazi, watch this. The Bible says, so Gehazi pursued Naaman and ran running after him. Uh, verse 21, he got down from the church to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, uh, yeah, you know, mm -hmm, yeah, all is well. Uh, but uh, he said, verse 22, all is well. My master has sent me saying, indeed, I just, uh, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come. Uh, to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them uh, talents of silver and two changes of garments. Now, y'all know that's a lie. No, no, nobody sent him. Elijah didn't tell him to go get no money or no profit, no, no clothing, all that stuff. So verse 23, so Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garment and handed them to the two of his servants. And they carried them ahead of them. 
And when he had come to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the, man, the men go, and they departed. Verse 25. Now he went in and stood before his master Elijah, and Elijah said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Well, you know, well, you, you understand. Uh, mm, ha, ha. Uh, your servant did not go anywhere. Lie number two. Everybody okay? Now you got to use a lie to cover up the lie. Should have told the truth from the beginning. Had to worry about all these cobwebs and uh, 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 spider webs. Oh, the tangle web we we when we God pray for us all tonight. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. What was that? Verse twenty-six. And so then he said to him, "Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from the chariots to meet you? Is it time for us to receive an offering?" Is it time for us to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? He says, Gehazi, therefore the very leprosy that was on Laman shall now be upon you. Not only upon you, will it be upon your descendants forever. The Bible says he turned white as snow. And I checked the word of God today. We don't hear from Gehazi no more. He's referenced once or twice towards the end of the book. Other than that, we know nothing about Gehazi. The Lord spoke to my heart and said simply this, and I'll close on this tonight. When your vision is prayer conditioned, it will ensure that you've heard directly from God. Because you better believe one thing. The enemy is going to fight you tooth and nail on one of the most important commodities of your faith. That's having a vision. Having a vision is just not a spoke in the wheel. Having a vision is a leg on the chair. You cannot sit. You cannot stand. You cannot move without vision. And the enemy knows that. If the enemy could show up when the sons of God met in the book of Job, how much more does the enemy show up now when God wants to give you a pure vision from heaven? So he's going to fight that vision tooth and nail. And for Gehazi that night, his agenda became bigger than the man of God's agenda. His vision became bigger than the vision of the man of God. His dreams, his greed, his desires pulled rank over the very one who had sent him. Now remember now, the man of God ain't for hire. He performs the miracle. If somebody wants to bless him, build a little room in the house for him, wants to give him something, bless him with cake, that's fine. But he's not for hire. But Gehazi says to himself, wow, man, that guy's cheap. Let me go take care of some of these blessings that he should have got. And he tells the lie, he tells the story, and he takes the money, and he hides it. But the scripture that I love and I can't get away from is the man of God who said, was not my heart with you when you went and did what you had to do? I cannot tell you the number of times my heart has gone out with people in this church, and I knew before the report came back to me what had happened. I may not have physically been there, but man, because we're so connected in covenant, my heart was there, and I knew before the story was told what was going to happen. Gehazi lies, oh, no, no, none of that happened, none of that happened. He said, Gehazi, it wasn't time for us to raise an offering. It wasn't time for us to be for hire. It wasn't time for us to get money for the miracles that God performed. He said, you know what, you were wrong. You should have been an echo to what I was doing. You should have been an extension to what I was giving. You should have been an example in my absence. And see, that's what vision does. When your vision is aligned with the vision of the house, right? When your vision is aligned with the vision of the man or woman of God, God will automatically put blessings and prosperity upon your dreams. But the minute your dream, your vision, your agenda, your desires become bigger and outside of that which you're submitted under, it ain't going to work. That's not going to work. John the Baptist said it this way. He says, I must decrease that he must increase. Now, we've read that a million times, but in essence, here's what John says. The Bible says John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Gehazi had nothing unless the man of God gave it to him. Authority, position, anointing, exposure, access. These things were given from the pulpit. You're encouraged. You're blessed. You're strengthened. You're, 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 you're priest out of hell. You're priest out of sin. You're priest out of confusion. You're priest out of debauchery. You're priest out of mess. And God raises you up. All right? Not because of a denomination, not because of a church location, but because of the word of God that comes to the man or the woman of God. So there is a covenant attachment and connection that is not meant to be destroyed. 
But when you decide to sever because of greed, all right, because someone done whispered in your ear that you're great. Anybody can get a slick brochure. Anybody can get a set of business cards. Anybody get in the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? You is, my baby, you is. And you go to singing your own praise. And then a couple of nobodies pat you on the back and say, man, you sure are awesome. They're not really telling the truth because you really can't sing that well. All right? You really can't preach that well. But since we're in a loving, carefree environment, we try to embellish and strengthen and admonish people. So ambition goes in your head, and now you're, you're larger than life. That's what happened to get Hazi. His agenda, his vision, his will and volition became greater than the one who was pouring into him. The Bible says that the student will never be greater than the teacher. And a pure teacher wants all of the students to rise up and be great, but not at the expense of overtaking. Everybody okay so far? So John says, you yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Oh, my God. I, I, I'd be so happy when we get really encouraged by hearing the voice of our, of, of our leaders. I pray we return to the days. I long to hear the voice of my leader. I told my wife this past week in, in Houston, this is great and it's awesome, but it reminds me of so much of what I've lost. I long to hear the voice. I'm not talking about no DVDs and CD-ROMs and MP3s. Boy, I long to hear the voice of my leader. And that day has come and gone. Gehazi was supposed to be an echo. He was supposed to be an extension. He was supposed to be an example. But because of greed, because of, 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 of his ambition to have big vision at the expense of his foundation, he lost it all. You wonder why some people are awfully gifted but yet it seems like they can never get off first base. They had all of the right tools, all of the right credentials. Seems like they get everything a man or woman could ever want, but they can never get off of ground zero. Could it be God ain't getting the glory? The kingdom is not being promoted, and it doesn't echo the house of the man of God. Let's stand to our feet. We got to get out of here tonight. I wish I could continue this on. I, I have actually two more points for you, but maybe if the Lord say the same, we'll pick it up Sunday. If not Sunday, we'll... Well, we'll just pick it up on next Thursday night, all right? Let's just keep going with vision. I want you to know how to write a vision down. You're going to have to be crafty. You're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to hear from heaven. If you have nothing else, make sure it's from heaven. There's a statement that Bishop Ivy Hillier spoke time and time again. It wasn't my first time hearing him say this, by the way. He said it a few years ago, and I, I captured it, and I hadn't heard it in a long time, but he, I heard it yesterday, and I said, you know what? I'm going to echo that tonight. He simply said this. When I hear from God, Man's counsel no longer stands. I want to share that thought with you tonight. When you get a vision from God, man's counsel don't matter no more. When you get a word from God, I counsel with man no more. I want to share that with you tonight. I wish I could take the credit. I wish I could tell you, oh, the Lord told me that. It sounds so good too, by the way. It sounds so deep. Good gracious. But when I hear a word from God, I counsel with man no more. I want to extend that to you tonight in the name of vision. When you get a vision from heaven, man's opinions, man's counsel, don't matter no more. Because I got to be obedient to what the Lord said, not what's popular and what public opinion might suggest. We live in a very democratic society, and we love to be politically correct. But when you get a vision from God, Man's thoughts don't matter no more. And this is why I say time and time again, be so very careful who you share the vision with in its infancy stage. There are demons released on the earth to abort the vision of God if told prematurely. If it falls into the ears of the wrong people, that vision will be aborted. All you need is a handful of nays. In fact, you don't need a whole lot. You just need one or two of doubters, unbelievers, and naysayers that will look you square in your eyes and tell you, you miss God. And when that seed is planted in your head, if faith is coming by hearing, hearing of the word of God, 
I believe faith also is coming by hearing and hearing from the enemy. The enemy can tell you you've missed God and you ain't saved and you ain't this and that and the other and you go home and believe it. And think about the dreams, the great things that could have, that should have, and would have happened had you protected that vision. So next, next Thursday night, what's the day? What's next Thursday? Next Thursday, good, 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 good. Okay, boom, 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 boom. Okay, good. Next Thursday night, we'll talk about how to communicate the vision. Crystal clarity, complete concision. We'll also talk about why it must be compelling. No one wants a boring vision. No one will follow a boring vision. I don't, I don't think no one will. So how do we make this energy produce compelling with compassion and action? That's what we want to become. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, I thank you for every man and woman that's here, that hears this word. I know, God, that the word will be found richly in their hearts. It will dwell richly in their hearts. I thank you tonight, God, for men and women that understand the value, the anointing of being an echo an extension, an example of what you do in this house. This is our foundation. This is our base. This is where we establish covenant. It is at your altar where things die. But it's also at the altar where things are resurrected. And I pray tonight, God, that you would so stir the hearts of men and women to understand the purpose of vision, the importance of vision, what to do with vision in their lives. I honor you tonight, God, for your goodness and your grace. May we understand the connection, the, 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 the contingency, the continuation that vision comes from the house of God, through the man of God. And God, if we decrease in us, we can increase in you. And Father, when we increase in you, we'll be able to see what you see and hear what you hear and say what you say. We want our vision to be prayer conditioned. We want to make sure, God, that it's directly from you because we know if it's from you, it's going to change the world. So tonight, I thank you, Father, for these brothers and sisters that will go and do just that, that you will speak to their hearts, confirm your word, give them energy and passion. Go from conception to completion in the name of Jesus. Come on, everybody, say amen. Come on, clap your hands on tonight. Let's say amen. Hallelujah.